0: Well, good morning to everyone across our campuses and our partner churches and all of those of you who are watching online in your beds on this cold morning. (laughs) Well, I don't know about you. Uh, Well, I actually want to say this here first. We're glad you're here. You picked a great day to be at Grace Chapel as we begin a brand new series called On the Road. And I don't know about you, but I love a good road trip. Anyone like a good road trip? Because on the road, you almost always experience something totally unexpected. Something that leaves a mark on your life that you never could have planned for any other way. Like you might spot something surprisingly beautiful. Or you have that conversation that you most need to have. Or you gain some new insight into life. Almost always, road trips leave you with some great stories to tell that only get better the more you tell them. Now, my favorite road trip of all time happened five years ago when Aaron and I decided to take that trip that a lot of people intend to take but never get around to taking. And that trip for us was to go to Italy. I had it all pictured in my mind. My wife and I just backpacking through all the beautiful Tuscan hills, going through the Italian cities. It was going to be perfect Roughing it would never feel so good. It was going to be awesome. And so I shared this vision of backpacking with my wife, and Erin had a little bit of a different picture in her mind. (laughs) She said, actually, I was thinking a little less roughing it and a little more romance. Now, she's going with me. Who could blame her, right? (laughs) So instead of backpacking, we compromised, and we ended up taking two big suitcases instead. Now this proved to be the right choice for almost every part of the trip for except for about 3 hours. We were heading from Florence to the hill town of San Gimignano, which required a couple of different bus connections. We thought the bus driver knew where to let us off, but he put us off in the wrong spot, and so we're kind of looking around like, okay, where are we supposed to go? What are we supposed to do? I ended up seeing a nice couple off in the distance, and I asked them for help, and in their broken English, they kind of said, it's up this way, too far to walk, but why don't you hop in the car with us, and we'll drive you there. So we piled our luggage in the back of their little Fiat, and we're sitting right back here just like this. <laughs> and while we're in there like this, I realize this could be a really bad thing. I can't move at all right now. They could do anything to us. And so I wanted to kind of look over and see Erin like we should have backpacked but I couldn't move my face to give her a dirty look. <laughs> but we got let off at the right spot, we made our bus connection and we got to San Gimignano and I thought everything was going to be perfect. And then as soon as we got off the bus, it started to pour down rain. Now, it's a very small spot, and so all the people fled to these little doorways to take cover. And so since there was no more space for us, I leapt into action. I lifted up both of these 50-pound suitcases over our heads. I put Aaron under my arm, and we walked through the center of town up this steep hill to right where our hotel was. The Italian people were so impressed by this that they started (laughs) clapping and cheering and making all this commotion about what an amazing man I was. At the end of it, it, Erin just lets down her hair and she says, I love you. And since we're in Italy, I said, I love you too. Now, by a show of hands, who thinks that might not actually have happened? You'd be right. You'd be right. We did get off at San Gimignano. The, bu- the rain did start to pour down on us. Unfortunately, fortunately, I was able to help Aaron get in one of these doorways to keep from getting wet. But because we had these suitcases, there was nowhere for me to go. And so I decided I'm just going to roll these suitcases up this steep hill. And as I was doing it, it's getting pelted with rain. I see all the Italians looking at me, pointing their fingers, laughing at me. <laughs> and I said, I have never felt more American in my entire life finally make it to the hotel and I am just mad because I'm embarrassed and everything and and then as soon as I get there the rain stops and and then Erin makes her way up the hill and she says I love you (laughs) and I said thank you but one of the best parts of this road trip, and pretty much all road trips for that matter, is that not only did we get to know ourselves a lot better, but we, or each other, but we got to know ourselves a lot better as well. Like after this incident, I realized how easily irritated and frustrated I can be when things don't work out the way that I want them to, and when I don't get my way. Anyone else like me? That was a life-shaping insight for me. Dallas Willard once said that the way that he can track if he's growing spiritually or not is by this question, am I becoming less and less easily discouraged and less and less easily irritated these days? That's how he would know he was growing. I clearly had and still have some work to do, which this road trip revealed. Well, today marks the first Sunday in the season of the church known as Lent which is the season of spiritual preparation that begins on Ash Wednesday and culminates on Easter Sunday. It's a time in the church year that challenges believers to purge some of the spiritual flabbiness in their lives so they can be more heightened and attentive to what is most meaningful in our world. And that, of course, is God. So this Lent, we're going to be joining Jesus on his famous road trip from Galilee to Jerusalem as he journeys to the cross. Luke's gospel chronicles this road trip, which is referred to as the travel narrative. And it begins in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, and ends in Luke 19 uh, when Jesus makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Now, in this section of Luke, we get a different glimpse into the life of Jesus. In Mark, we meet Jesus as the preacher. In Matthew, we get to experience Jesus as teacher. But in this section of Luke, we get to experience the conversations that Jesus has with ordinary men and women just like you and me. And what does Jesus do when he's on the road? He does what we do. He tells a lot of the best stories that have ever been told, and these are known as parables. So this Lent, we're going to invite you to join us on the road as we travel with Jesus to Jerusalem. We'll meet some other fellow sojourners along the way, and we'll actually find ourselves and their stories. So we're hoping this Lent, That we don't simply get to know more about Jesus, but that we can gain more personal experience with him. That's what our annual theme of rediscovering Jesus is all about. So we're creating a whole church-wide experience this Lent to help us on this journey on the road. So starting next week, we've created a four-week small group study on four of the parables that we'll go four consecutive weeks with with our life community groups. Then on March 5th, we have our Soul Care Retreat. And during Holy Week, we will be having our annual Sacred Spaces experience here in Lexington and in Wilmington where we can meet with God in a very unique and powerful way. And then we have a reading plan, a personal reading plan that you can follow uh, in the Essential Jesus Book, which are available out in the lobbies after service. And then each Sunday, we'll be preaching a different passage here of the travel narrative. And so we encourage you to come back each and every Sunday. It's a great time to be here at Grace Chapel. And here at Grace, we are utterly convinced that living life with Jesus on this journey of life is the best possible way any of us can live. As John 10.10 says, I have come, Jesus says, that you might have life and life to the limit, the fullest, most abundant life imaginable. So as we begin our journey today, we're going to discover what barriers or or excess baggage we're holding on to that we need to let go of that will enable us to live this abundant life now. So enough, enough talk about this whole journey. Let's jump in as we begin this road trip with Jesus in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. So when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to Jerusalem. Now, up to this point in Jesus' life, he's been teaching and healing and ministering in and around the rural area of Galilee. But now he's going to discover, and we're going to get to discover, what it is that Jesus really came to do all along. The text says that he set his face to Jerusalem. Now, this is not just like putting Jerusalem in the destination part of your GPS to make sure you don't make a wrong turn along the road. To set your face towards something meant that you were going to put all of your life's focus and energy toward a single goal. So when Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem, he was striving to fulfill the very mission of his life. And Jesus' mission was the cross. The cross. All along the road, we're going to be asking some hard, penetrating questions that will enable us to know ourselves a little bit better. So let me ask you this one to begin. What is your life's mission? Where are you headed? Verse 52. As he sent messengers ahead of him, on their way they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. Now, this trip from Galilee to Jerusalem was a dangerous three- to five-day journey covering approximately 60 to 70 miles, and the bulk of the trip was through the region known as of Samaria. Now, Samaritans and Jews did not have the best relationship, so if you were a Jew traveling through Samaria, this might have felt like enemy territory, and for everybody, it probably would have felt decidedly unfriendly at the very least. So as Jesus' disciples look for a place for him to spend the night on this journey, they're met with resistance immediately. So how do James and John respond? Well, they try to play a card from the Old Testament uh, prophet Elijah's playbook from hundreds of years earlier by calling down fire from heaven in order to destroy their enemies. A drastic measure like this might be why Jesus nicknamed them the sons of thunder but Jesus rebukes them. You might say he stole their thunder. But right from the get-go, Jesus makes clear that there is no place for retaliation in the lives of those who would follow him. Eugene Peterson comments on this by saying, it was no task of disciples of Christ to destroy the opposition. Christ followers don't bash people who are not on our side, either physically or verbally. And Jesus shows just how serious he is about this when at the very end of the road he is ridiculed, mocked, beaten, and crucified. And he never lifts a finger and he never utters a word to retaliate. So Jesus sets everyone straight on the rules of the road right from the start. Love doesn't retaliate. It doesn't retaliate. So let me ask you, where are there hints of retaliation in your thoughts, in your attitudes, and in your actions? With the ground rules now set, Their journey picks up, and Jesus meets three people on the road eager to join him. Let's pick up with verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now a common practice of rabbis in Jesus' day was to weed out the would-be disciples by sharing just how high the demands were to follow him. Jesus, in keeping with this rabbinical tradition, describes how following him is far from safe, it is far from easy, and it is anything but comfortable. The message translation puts it like this. Jesus was curt. Are you ready to rough it? We're not staying in the best ends, you know. So let me ask all of you who contemplate following Jesus, are you ready to rough it? Because suffering comes with the territory of following Christ. Anyone ready to turn around and go home yet? Because it's going to get even better. Let's meet the second person on the road. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, this is arguably one of the hardest things that Jesus says to try and swallow. At first glance, it just feels unnecessarily extreme, even harsh, not to let this man go and bury his father who just died. It feels out of keeping with Jesus' character. So, what is going on here? Well, some commentators suggest that burying one's father and saying goodbye to one's family could actually be euphemisms for waiting until relatives were dead before joining up with Jesus. Perhaps what this man was really saying was, Well, let me stay at home until my father dies, and when I have buried him, I shall be free of family obligations, and then I will come and follow you. Maybe that's what's going on. But what we must be careful of here is to try and soften the seriousness of Jesus' words. At the core, Jesus is trying to address what the highest priority of our life is. When Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead, he's using a pun to say, let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. By saying this, he is insistent, life is urgent. Following following him has to take precedence over every obligation and every relationship. And that even means family. Now this does not imply that Jesus' followers can never take care of their family obligations. But when they do, they must do so out of obedience to Jesus, not instead of obedience to him. And so what Jesus reveals by this hard saying is for that this man... His highest priority was not in following Jesus. Because when he says, let me first go and bury my father, the man's trying to use a noble excuse to try and let, uh, allow Jesus to allow him to keep charge of his life, to follow him on his own terms. But the reality is, you can never follow the way of Jesus your own way. This is a major barrier to the abundant life that God has for you. Because our lives will never reach their highest potential until Jesus becomes our highest priority. I believe that's the message Jesus is trying to get across here. So now before we look at the third person that Jesus encounters, let me just make sure we all saw what happened back there. Jesus used a pun to help explain his teaching here, okay? He uses puns in conversations. And if Jesus does then how much more so should we, right? <laughs> I'm way more Christ-like than you thought. This is just saying. <laughs> Moving along. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say what farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So like the previous man, this man wants to follow Jesus, but wants to do so on their own terms. They say something very common that all would-be followers of Jesus like to say, I will follow you, but... Now, as a former youth pastor, my instincts just kick in right here because nothing grabs a middle schooler's attention like hearing a pastor say the word, but, in public, even if it's only just but with one T, like I'm saying right here. (laughs) So what is this person's but or excuse for hesitating to follow Jesus? Well, I think it could be one of two things. The first is just simply distraction. No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God, Jesus says. So what happens if you start to plow a field and you don't keep your eyes straight ahead? Well, since I'm not a farmer, I'm really not sure, but it doesn't sound good, huh? Now, if you take your eyes off what's in front of you, you're going to veer off course. You'll never, you never see crops grow, growing in virtually any other way in straight rows, do you? So to harvest crops in straight rows, you have to keep your focus straight ahead. So what Jesus is getting at here is the tendency to want to follow him and keep our eyes and lives focused on what our life was like before we followed him. Instead of the cross before me and the world behind me, we want to say the cross before me and the world beside me. We want Jesus and our old life or Jesus and our life as it currently is, and not Jesus alone. And on the road, you can't have both. It's too heavy of a load to travel with. It's like the big luggage that is going to hold you back. So the other but that Jesus might want to be calling out of this person is summed up well by how the message translates this verse. No procrastination, no backward looks, You can't put God's kingdom off to tomorrow. Seize the day. Now this rings so true for so many of us, doesn't it? I'll follow Jesus a little bit later on. Maybe I'll follow Jesus next year or when I graduate from school. Or maybe once I have kids, then I'll follow him. Or maybe once I finish doing everything that I want to do first, then I'll follow Jesus. But Jesus calls this utter foolishness. He says life is short. None of this procrastinate later business, people. Drop whatever you're doing and follow me. Because if you don't follow me now, you probably won't follow me then either. So thus far, we've met three would-be followers of Jesus who were challenged by him to remove the baggage and the excess barriers that they have in their lives to get rid of it so they can follow Christ. Which of these three people's story do you resonate with the most? In other words, maybe if Jesus was to find you on the road, what would he say to you? What would need to go? Maybe like the first person, he'd challenge your preoccupation of living a comfortable, convenient, and safe life. He'd say, that's holding you back. Are you ready to rough it? Or maybe like the second person, Jesus would challenge your priorities. What might be the good things in your life that are keeping you from the ultimate thing? of following him. Or maybe like the third person, Jesus might challenge you to just simply stay focused and not take your eyes off the road. Don't procrastinate. Keep heading toward Jerusalem no matter what might meet you there. Now what's both frustrating and brilliant about these road stories is that we never know how these three people respond. Do they follow Jesus or do they walk away? We don't know. But one of the things that I think these three people have in common with each other and with all of us is that they all have good intentions. They want to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, but something just keeps getting in the way of them doing it. A video that's recently been going viral has a chalkboard set up in New York City with these words written above it. What's the biggest regret in life? What's your biggest regret in life? And the people are filmed walking up and writing down their regrets. And the common thing amongst all the regrets that people are writing are not the things that they did, but they're regretting the things that they didn't do in their life. The common word that's used throughout uh, these regrets is the three-letter word, not. People intended good things, but did not actually do them. Imagine what these three people that we met on the road, what they might have written on that chalkboard. Well, as one of your pastors here at Grace, my prayer is that we would not be a community of people whose lives were characterized by regrets and knots. I don't want any of us to simply be known as people who are well-intended. So instead, I'd love for each of us to be characterized by a new word that I'm making up today, okay? Here's what my hope is, is that we would be people who were well-intended. D-I-D at the end. Well-intended. Those are people who actually do what they set out to do. And they remove any barrier that might get in the way. Now, there's a big difference between being well-intended, E-D, and being well-intended. People who are just well-intended might be filled with some really admirable hopes, but their lives end up being filled with a whole bunch of nots and nevers. I did not do that, never got around to that. But at the end of the day, listen, at the end of the day, what your life will ultimately count for is not just what you intended, but what you actually did. If you had to evaluate your life so far, Would you be more of a well-intended ED person or a well-intended person? My hope today is that we'd all walk away committed to doing this, to put the did in intended, to put the did in intended. And so I want us to look at four ways that we can actually do this. Because I want us to be the kind of people who won't just hope to do the right thing or don't just hope to live the abundant life with Jesus, but actually live it, experience it, do it. So let's look at four ways to put the did and intended. First, know your Jerusalem. As we said earlier, your Jerusalem is your life mission. It's what ultimately drives, steers, and directs your life. For Jesus, his Jerusalem was the cross to rescue us from death by his own death. While he was tempted to veer off course, he never took his hand off the plow, but he kept his face resolutely set toward Jerusalem, completing the toughest mission the world has ever known. And like Jesus, we must know what our mission is and not get distracted. Now all of us have what we could say, as a general mission. We all have a general mission, and that is to give glory to God by becoming like Christ and then living our very lives the way Jesus would live them if he were us. That's all of our mission. But since God has created us uniquely, we each have a specific mission related to our gifts, our personality, our past, our career, and our place in life. Sometimes that specific mission is only just for a short season. But almost always, it evolves as we grow and as we mature. Most of the time, God doesn't tell us what our specific mission is when we just sit around and wait for him to tell us. No, what normally happens is that we gradually discover what it is if we serve him by stewarding what God has entrusted to us really, really well. And so let me just assure you of this, though. If we are genuinely committed to doing what God wants us to do, God will not let us miss our mission. So knowing your Jerusalem is essential to putting the did in intended because it helps you know what you should do and what you should not do. Not just morally speaking, but when it comes to discerning good things from the ultimate thing. Good things can be the biggest barrier the ultimate things. But when you know your life mission, you get one step closer to doing what God ultimately wants you to be about. And you just not don't just stay busy doing a whole lot of good things. So first, to put the did and in intended, know your Jerusalem. Secondly, count the cost. Count the cost. I haven't mentioned it yet, but in case you didn't realize, today is Valentine's Day. Just trying to help my fellas out, all right? Now, but most of us don't know the story behind St. Valentine. In the year 269 A.D., Valentine was sentenced to a three-part execution of a beating, stoning, and finally decapitation, all because of his stand for Christian marriage. The story goes that the last words that he wrote before his death as a martyr were in a note to a friend, and he signed it, from your Valentine." That's where this famous line came from. But what St. Valentine and followers of Jesus throughout the ages have known is that there is a great cost to following Christ. One of the reasons so many of us don't follow through with our intentions of wanting to follow him is just because of how high the cost is and we don't actually count that cost. The high cost of of following Jesus is typically what makes people turn around and go home. But the reality is, While the cost of following Jesus is great, the cost of not following Him, it's even greater. Because by not following Jesus, not only do we miss out on this abundant life that Jesus makes available to us now, but our future is jeopardized forever. So take the time not only to count up the cost of following Jesus, but also of not following Him. Third, To put the did and intended, plan for it. Plan for it. My dad used to tell me, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail, son. (laughs) Now, one of the biggest reasons we don't do what we intend is that we actually don't put a plan in motion to do it. To take that trip or to get that degree or to really follow Jesus. So let me just give you a few questions to help you plan on doing this. First, what are you going to do? This is about knowing your Jerusalem. Secondly, how are you going to do it? Trying hard is not going to be enough. You actually have to train yourself to become the kind of person who can do this. That's all about your habits. Thirdly, when are you going to do it? I'm finding these days that if I don't, that a to-do list isn't actually enough for me to get things done. I have to schedule when I'm going to do things or they l- remain undone. Anyone else like me these days like that? So know when are you going to do it. And then lastly, who will go with you? You don't necessarily need someone to do the same thing you're doing, but someone to keep you company, to keep you accountable, and to keep you on track as you go toward Jerusalem. There's an African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. The life of following Christ is the longest, most rigorous, and the best journey you can possibly go on. So find a good traveling companion or community to go with you. Then lastly, to put the did and intended, lighten your load. Lighten your load. Probably the biggest reason why you are not a living the abundant life is because you're simply doing too much. So let's go back to my original story about the suitcases and the backpack. If someone's going to look at your life right now and all that you're doing, would it look more like a backpack or would it look more like a couple of big pieces of luggage? Jesus wants you to be free, He wants you to be able to travel lightly. So if you had to remove something from your life right now, what would you need to let go of? For James and John, those sons of thunder, the load that was holding them back was their retaliatory spirit. They needed to get even. For the first man on the road, his fear of discomfort and suffering might have been what held him back and weighed him down. For the second person, it was the baggage that he accumulated from misdirecting the priorities of his life. When our priorities aren't straight, baggage is always going to build up and it's going to weigh us down. And for that last person, it was probably their distracted attention that got them off course. During our trip to Italy, it was my need to get my own way that needed to be let go of and And for Aaron, well, she didn't really need to give up anything at all. Happy Valentine's Day here. (laughs) So how about you? Maybe the reason you're carrying such a big load is because you're really afraid of what people think. You don't want to look inadequate or incapable, or you have a really hard time saying no, and so you are busy doing all these things, and yet you're not doing the main thing that you know you should be doing really well. Now, as I've personally reflected on this question, I've found that most of the added weight that I carry around with in my luggage is due to the very pressure that I impose upon myself. Pressure to perform, pressure to achieve, pressure to try and do the most with what God has given me. And sometimes that can be a good thing, but more often than not, I'm making a bigger burden for myself to carry than God would ever want for me. Maybe today, like me, God's inviting you to trade in all this heavy luggage that you've been carrying around. It's got you feeling trapped like you're in the back of a Fiat, trying to lug up a hill, lug up luggage up a hill in San Gimignano, and that you're tired and you're weary. And Jesus is inviting you to let go, find the rest that he wants to provide. So to put the did and intended, lighten your load. And if you don't know what that is that you need to lighten, ask a trusted friend. There's a good chance this thing could be obvious to everyone except you. So to put the did and in intended, know your Jerusalem, count the cost, plan for it, and lighten your load. And I believe the ultimate reason that we can remove the barriers that we have set up for the abundant life that God wants for us, the reason we can believe that we can remove these things is because Jesus, he's already removed the greatest barrier of all. Because he traveled from Galilee to Jerusalem, he carried the heaviest weight in the world, the weight of the cross. Because he did that, we can be freed from that suffocating burden of sin and live a life of love as we join God on the road of life. We don't have to walk alone or by our own strength because God is with us. And he'll never cease to surprise us and to surpass our expectations. Amen? So we not only have a great journey on the road together this Lent, but all throughout our lives. And so, friends, don't find yourself held back by your baggage any longer, but become the kind of person who can put the did and intended by joining Jesus and each other on the road. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have made a way for us to have a better life than we could ever deserve, a life with you that doesn't begin just when we die, but can be an abundant life that we can experience because of Jesus and with Jesus right now. Lord, it's scary to try and let go of the things that we have held on to so long that we often believe make us who we are. But I pray right now by your Holy Spirit's power that you would give us the courage to loosen the grip we have on many of our misdirected priorities, many of the things that distract us, many of our fears and worries, maybe of our need for comfort and convenience. Lord, we pray that you would give us the strength to just re- to release these things and let them go. Relieve the pressure we put on ourselves. Just let us... Let go of the need to be people pleasers. God, you're the only one that we want to please. And so today, give us what we need to hop in the car, to jump on the trail and head on this road with you. It's you that we want, not you at anything else, but you and you alone. So help us to be trained up to live that way now and forever. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, Amen. Let's stand as we close together and worship here this morning.